Mini-episode 1536 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1536. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here with you. And I have one of my fellow FDH Lounge original dignitaries with me today. One of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good pal Chris Galloway. And we are breaking down the NFL. We are revisiting some things here at the one-third mark of the season. The one thing about the league's big money grab in 2021 of going to 18 weeks is that now uh, you can actually do uh, at the third point of the season here. There's no 17 weeks and like, well, it's the 64.2% part of the season. No, it's an even one third here at this point, as we've seen six weeks come and go. Not all teams have played the six weeks because again, the bye week started in week six, but uh, we're far enough along here we have a substantial number of surprises. Uh, maybe not the teams at the top, or at least two of the three. We'll talk about that. But uh, structurally, structurally, this seems to be a weird time in the league right now as far as teams outside of the top tier, teams at the bottom of the league, and really all points in between. And uh, just a weird, slushy, mushy kind of a feel to the start of the season here. Would you agree with that characterization, Chris Galloway? Well, uh, first, let me say it's great to be here with you, Rick. Thank uh, you. I would I would agree with that, and I, and I guess that this is Roger Goodell's, that's his living fantasy, right? I mean, we, we've been told for years the league wants most of the league as close to 8-8 eight and eight as they can get, or I guess now 9-7. We're kind of seeing that. And uh, at least this year we are. And, and I guess that, that makes everybody competitive. Uh, in some cases, it makes teams equally bad. You know, we have a few teams that are what we thought they were going to be, like Buffalo and Kansas City, um, holding up their end of the bargain. Um, you know, certainly uh, uh, the Cowboys and the Eagles. Uh, Eagles better than what we expected, but still at the top. Minnesota leading their division. I didn't pick them there, but... Some did. And uh, then we have the great disappointments. Uh, Tampa Bay, um, not looking good. Uh, New Orleans being what you and I kind of thought they were going to be, yep. actually. Mm -hmm. And and the Rams clearly have structural problems across that roster. And they do not look like a team that is going to, let alone uh, compete for a Super Bowl, at least right now, they don't look like a team that's going to make the playoffs. True. So, um you know, so so it's 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 been an interesting year, um, and and I would say that you know every now and then we get this where there's a shift. You know, we we're all used to sort of the same teams for you know four or five years being the competitive favorites, and then all of a sudden somebody else rises up out of nowhere. You know, Seattle, the Giants, uh, you know, the Jets, Miami's playing well despite their quarterback problems. You know, it seems like we might be answering into like a, a, a transition like that. Here's the thing, though, and I'm going to compare and contrast this, and I don't think that this is a very favorable comparison for the NFL that I'm going to make. And that being recently on the show here, when we did our NBA season preview, myself and FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu, this is a point that we've been talking about for the last year or two, is that the NBA is in the middle of something that you don't generally see, and that is it's a slow motion changing of the guard. You've got like eight to ten teams that are legitimate championship contenders in the NBA this year. Usually it's closer to four or five, but you've got some of the kind of relics of the last era of Golden State and some teams like that. Toronto, even though they don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore, other than that, they're a lot the same team. And then you have other teams that are coming up right now. And you've got this this thing of where you, it's deeper. It's a deeper crop at the top than it generally is. And that is not a favorable comparison, I think, to the NFL because it's a thing where 
things are a little bit mushier and it's a transition, but it is not leading to any kind of great depth at the top. It's just the opposite. You have three teams that have really separated themselves here. On the most recent FDH Lounge Power Rankings, we've got it as Philadelphia, Buffalo, Kansas City in that order. And then, uh, as I've been joking with you off-air, the second tier is like the Alaskan crabs right now. They've basically, it, it's like a billion crabs just disappearing in the sea. There is no second tier. We essentially skip right to the third tier because week after week, you and other people have been saying to me, oh, don't you have this team a little high in the top 10? To which my, my evergreen response is, well, who the hell else am I going to put there? That's where the NFL is right now, is that you have teams that you have to put in the top 10, unlike the NBA, where teams belong in the top 10. In the NFL, it's like, well, there's nobody else to put here, I guess. Well, what I would expect you to do then, Rick, in your next power ranking, mm -hmm. is I want you, I want to see your one through five. Okay. And then I want to see, um, I want to see seven teams tied for 25th. <laughs> <laughs> and then seven teams tied for 26th. Basically, <laughs> that's yeah. That's really what you're talking about. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. There, there, that, there's nothing in the middle. So I, I think you should actually put that into action. Well, and um, and we basically see 27 teams ranked 25th or lower. Yeah, you might as well. I mean, because the way that it's going here, and we'll talk about some specific teams, but I think primarily we'll probably be looking at some of these structural issues because I think some of the macro-level issues in the league this year are probably uh, some of the more compelling angles. You, you have all of that. You have three teams that matter, a whole bunch else that don't. And uh, by the way, uh, every week at uh, the FDH Lounge Multimedia Magazine, the fdhlounge.blogspot.com, that's where we've got the power rankings every week. But as far as it goes with uh, the, the bottom of the league, that's a thing where uh, outside of you know Washington and Carolina and Chicago and a handful of really execrable type teams, the bottom tier of the league is a thing where it, it doesn't feel like it's as bad as usual. I mean, I had to put Pittsburgh, like I think it was like 30 a couple weeks ago, and then they go out and beat Tampa Bay the next week. Now, that's probably owing in large part to Tampa Bay being a fraud. I get that. But it's a thing where you, you, you have the, the bottom of the league. You, you very perceptively said to me early on when I had Atlanta ranked pretty low, uh, you were like, Atlanta's going to be better than that. And they have ended up being. But at the time, I felt like I had no choice but to slot them in where I had them slotted in. And I said to you at the time, like, they're way better than, you know, the average. I think I might have had them number 32. I mean, like, they might be the best, you know, 32 ranked team of all time essentially like this is just a weird dynamic where especially Carolina stripping it to the bone the Christian McCaffrey trade late last night as we're taping this here you do have one or two or three teams that are like traditionally bad but part of what's making this so weird is that the the, the rest of the quote-unquote bottom feeders in the league uh, are, are not maybe as as horrible as they would uh, generally seem to be no I think you're on to something I mean the Bears haven't been good Right, but they're two and four. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're they're they are they're still um, a harder than you would have expected out. Yes, and you know certainly Atlanta at three and three. To your to your point, you know even with their three losses, they've played hard, and each one of those losses come up just short. Yes, um, you know, and and so you, one could argue that like three and three, heck, they could they they're close. They're a couple of plays from five and one. Right. Um, which is remarkable. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's where we're at. I mean, and you have a division like the NFC East where the Giants, you know, we thought, you know, Dable, good hire, but going to be a couple of years away from really turning that thing around. I guess coaching does matter. Yes. And I guess coaching <laughs> still still matters in, in a league like the NFL a lot more than a lot of fans, you know, maybe want to acknowledge at times. Because they, the Giants certainly on paper have a talent deficit that they have somehow managed to make up with scheme and and resolve and coaching. So, uh, and I think you're seeing the same thing in New England. Yes, I, you know, I, you know, I was very down on the Patriots. You know, had them winning six games and and and, and Bill's job in trouble. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, like uh, Lee Corso likes to say, not so fast, my friend. Uh, they, that defense is playing phenomenally, and 
that's that's allowing them to establish their run game. They're doing, in, in large part, what the Browns wanted to do this year. You know, good defense, strong running game, and uh, play action, and 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 just you know, and manage the clock. And they're doing it well. The Browns, on the other hand, that was the formula they wanted. They haven't figured out how to do it. Well, it's a very interesting tale of two teams here because. I have to mention this, and this is something I'd mentioned to you uh, previously off air, that in doing the power rankings every week, I'm starting to look at uh, some of the weekly numbers that are coming out at Pro Football Reference and their expanded standings that they have during the season. And I will freely admit, I don't understand what all the components are of the DSRS number, uh, but it's the defensive component of the SRS. Uh, And of course, there's an offensive component to it as well. New England uh, ranks on this advanced statistic number one defensively in the AFC. The Browns rank last in the AFC defensively. New England is a 7.4. The Browns are a minus 7.1. There are plus and minus numbers on these things here, and they average out to the regular SRS number. Uh, New England is underwater offensively at minus 2.5, but that 7.4 gives them an overall plus 4.9. Hence, that's why they're in my top 10 is that defensive ranking. And uh, again, the, the Browns doing what they did. I will say this is one of these things where, you know, on the surface, uh, we look like a couple of silly gooses here, uh, having spent as much time as we did breaking down the Browns roster here, talking about how good it was on paper. But again, I don't think we were wrong about that, although it is possible uh, in all of this. I, I, I'm of the school of thought sort of of at least a little bit of a pox on everyone's house I think it's very very possible that Andrew Barry overrated some of these players in the draft and certainly in free agency and everything I think that's part of it but the coaching has been the absolute drizzling shiznits uh, the players execution has been uh, the, the the execution of these players uh, leads me to that uh, old quote from John McKay when he said back in the day uh, the execution of my players I'm in favor of it <laughs> <laughs> One of the great all-time lines. Yes. Um, you, you know, uh, you know the, the the Browns are, a, are are like a microcosm of the NFL right now. Aren't right? they? Like, they really are, Chris. I, I mean, they they they've got on on paper. You look at it and go, "This town's a roster." I mean, we went into this year a lot of people thinking it was a top five roster. I did too. Uh, sans sans the quarterback situation for the first eleven weeks. I thought so. Um, and then you you know you have a defense that finished. The back half of last season as a top five unit can't you know can't can't figure out the difference between their ass and a hole in the ground, um, I, and basically with all mostly the same players, right? Which is what is just beyond mind boggling to me. Um, you know, it's one thing for someone to a unit to just kind of start off slow, figure it out after a couple of weeks, and really get into a roll. I mean, they're just going backwards. I yes. mean, they they have been bad and 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 worse, and I don't and I don't understand. I don't understand it because we've seen quality play out of that unit. Yes. Um, and so it just doesn't make sense. And then, you know, you, uh, listen, so you're talking about the coaching. You can look at, like, some of the special teams miscues and defensive that cost them the Jets game. And, and I, you know, I can be, you know, you know I was a big fan of the hire, uh, an advocate for Stefanski. I still see a lot of good stuff that he does. But I, you know, like I find me myself in the same spot like last year, where I wonder if, even though I think by and large he's called a good offense this year, I thought he's done a pretty good job, better than last year, and 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 actually, you know, the, the offense ranks pretty highly despite you know having Jacoby Brissett at QB. So I, I can't really fault him for some of that. The, 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 my, my coaching fault with Stefanski is that there are clearly times in game where I just feel like he's, his face is so far into that big laminated menu that he's the, the Waffle House failing menu. At the, yeah, he's failing at the game management, right? Mm-hmm. He's failing at critical, at critical decision making. You know, we had that game famously where I said to you, kick the field goal, take the points. No, we'll never live to regret this. Was that the Atlanta game that you yes. Won? yes. Yeah, and, and and I just sat there banging on that point for the whole game, and then they and then they ended up losing. Um, and where that field goal would have made the difference. And, and so it's it's that, and, and then it's things like last week's game against New England. They get within what is it, eight points, 
decides instead of kick the extra point, uh, or rather nine points, rather than kick the extra point and make themselves down by eight, they go for two, and now it becomes a two-score game. Right. Which changes the whole dynamic of how you're going to try to manage the the last bit of the game. Right. Which I thought was a mistake. And it was I was at the game, as you know, was screaming at the time, what are you doing? Desperation. Um, That's a desperation deal. I guess it was, because I, I thought you, you, you're, you're going to need to get him back, you're going to need to score a touchdown, and then you go for the two to, to, to bring it to overtime. You fail, you've now, now you need two scores. Right. Like you just, you've put yourself behind the eight ball. And that's exactly what happened. And then, you know, like the decisions to, to, to you know, when they, got the, when they got the ball back at the end of the first half and they, they had a chance to drive down and they let clock come off. Rather, he had three timeouts. And rather than calling a timeout at like 240 or 235, he basically lets 35 seconds go. Yeah. And, and, and I'm like, you could have taken the timeout, maybe run two plays Still had two, you know, two timeouts left and a two two minute the two minute warning. Like you blew a bunch of time and really put yourself in a pickle when you didn't have to. And again, I can't help but think that that kind of little stuff and what's going on with special teams and the lack of what we're seeing on on defense. If we had a head coach that was focusing on all of it on Sunday with his head on the overall strategy and overall that was going on versus having his face buried in the Waffle House menu, like you say. I mean, when 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 the Browns aren't on offense and there's anything going on, you can watch him. He's pacing back and forth with his face in that menu. Right. He's – I'm sorry. He's not looking at what's the defense going on. What are my defensive coaches saying? Is there anything I should be putting an eye on? What about this situation? You cannot tell me that the human brain can manage all that while you're sitting there trying to figure out your next series and how you might want to attack it. Like, I, I just think he's got himself – I think he has a good offense. I think he has a good offensive mind. But I think I think right now this team needs a head coach, and you can let Van Pelt call the, call the game. Will you get involved in every facet of it? Get yep. on the headset and be listening to defensive calls and putting a critical eye on it. Yep. Um, all of it, and I think that's the I think that's the biggest problem right now in terms of coaching for the Browns. Besides, you know, player execution on defense is dreadful. Um, but I think the Browns are a perfect example of the NFL, where it's like on paper it looked like this, and this is what we're getting. And 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 it also shows you the way the Browns have lost games this year. You know, for all of these teams in the league, you're reminded again of how close the margins are between winning and losing in the league. Yes. It's one, it's one or two plays every game make the difference, right? We, you know, whether for the Browns, whether it was the Jets and, and Atlanta, it's it's one or two plays. The same thing, Buccaneers, one or two plays against the Steelers. Um, again and again and again, every week, one or two plays. Same thing that's bit uh, Baltimore in the rear, right? Yeah. With their collapses. You know, it's one or two plays, then suddenly you've gone from the ability to win to now, oh, we've lost. And the good teams will start to right the ship here in this next, you know, uh, quarter, third of the season um, and start to separate themselves. But right now we have a lot of middling, like you pointed out. Yeah, I mean, I do expect a second tier to reconstitute itself at some point, but who's to say if that takes two weeks, three weeks, six weeks? This we don't know. We don't know how long that's going to take. And, uh, again, I think that talking about the Browns as we did here, I, I think that is a very excellent point. They are the microcosm of the league right now. This I don't know if there's any Chinese menus that show that this is the year of the fraud, but right now it's been the year of the fraud in the NFL <laughs> because there's a lot of fraud teams. I mean, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Look, the Browns weren't going to be a top 10 team probably with Brissett in there anyways, but they shouldn't be as dog crap as they've been. So they count as a fraud. Uh, Baltimore does. Uh, so many teams do at this point in time, just really. And uh, just having fallen apart in so many different ways. And one of the things here, we talked about this off air, 
I, I want you to make the point here and talk about this uh, with the uh, the offense being declining because clearly that ties into that's going to exacerbate the trend of games being closer. One or two plays uh, can decide games. That's going to be more likely to be the, the, the case when the games are lower scoring. But talk about that, and then I'm going to have a follow-up question once you do. So, I mean, I, the, the point that I made you off the air was that despite the NFL's efforts to loosen up the defense, give advantages to the offense, um, everybody oozing awes about the, the, the passing attacks in, in the league now, and, and you hear you hear constantly this, this, this drumbeat of, you can't run, you can't win in the NFL by running the football. It's that Those days are gone. Well, I mean, the, the reality is right now, despite all of that, despite all the Air Coriel type uh, offenses and the, the defenses having uh, one arm tied behind their back in terms of rules by the league. Scoring is down. Touchdowns per game are down, and and it's clear that that defenses in many ways have caught up again to how how offenses want to want to you know play it. And and the idea that you can't win in the league by running the football. You know, I thought was proved sort of nonsense. You know, yes, they didn't win in the playoffs, but last year Tennessee was a number one seed in the AFC as the top running team. You know, the Browns were inept at everything but running, and and were still a competitive ball club. Uh, Baltimore, you know, towards the top of the league in running. You know, playoff type team. Now they didn't make it because of injuries but you see you, you get what i'm saying is that this whole idea philadelphia are running team the cowboys prefer to run to set up the pass this whole idea that you can't you know you, you your run game is like forget it this narrative is just nonsense but all that being said it's you know scoring is down despite all the league's efforts to drive it up um and and and, and there are some theories on to why that is and 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 i'd be curious to see what your thoughts are well, I don't know that we have a big enough sample size yet on this. If we get to midseason or slightly thereafter, I think we could probably draw some more concrete uh, thoughts on that here. I, I think, as you're saying, that uh, defenses are, uh, again, it's a long off season, right? These guys are just sitting there with their, I would say, film projectors, but that would probably date me, whatever they're watching it on, their iPads or whatever. Uh, all through the off season, breaking things down. Rick, Rick, have you learned nothing from the branding? It's their Microsoft surfaces. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I still, I still talk about this with people. One of the great things a couple of years ago was the NFL had a crackdown. They had to tell the announcers to stop calling them iPad knockoffs or whatever it was because Microsoft was complaining. But it was like because that's what they were they were doing. They were referring to them essentially. They're, well, they're spending all that money with the league to have the announcers keep calling them iPads. Yeah, and I can understand their frustration. You know, tell your media partners yeah. to stop mislabeling our damn yeah or 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 knockoffs. Exactly, or knockoffs, which is even more insulting. But it's a thing where the the defensive coordinators, again, there are uh, Joe Woods notwithstanding. There's a lot of really good ones in the league, and they're spending the entirety of these off seasons trying to uh, do their own version of the Manhattan Project and uh, figure out how to stop these offenses. So, I think that there is a little bit of that. I think defensive innovation is on the upswing to a degree. But this is something where, if you're asking me about my opinion on this, and you were, I think the pendulum is going to swing back towards the middle a little bit as the season goes along, and offenses will probably flex themselves a little bit more, flex those muscles. Are you expecting the same, or do you expect this trend to continue? I, I actually expect the trend to continue. Mm, okay. And 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 I and there's I think there's I think it's going to drive something the next collective bargaining agreement about how soft the practices in offseason have become. Right. Um, you see it with a loss of fundamentals. Um, yes. And again, this doesn't help defense, but the bad tackling that we see a lot now. Yes. You see, uh, I think the other thing is, um, whether it's the coaching at college and then into the NFL, the teams that have good offensive line coaching and scheming seem to have a massive advantage. Agreed. Um, I think I think I think the NFL right now is suffering from an offensive line problem. 
Right. I think if you watch that that game uh, with Denver and uh, who they played the other the other night, uh, that was uh, the Chargers. Uh, yeah, that was hard to watch. That was hard on the eyeballs. Yeah, I mean that's just two bad offensive lines. Yes. Both both quarterbacks running for their life constantly. Oh, Denver and L.A. Yeah. Yes. So uh, I, it, you know, and again, De- you know, L.A.'s hurt with with a couple injuries on their f- offensive line. Right. I think that's the root of Tampa Bay's problems. Is is their is their um, uh, offensive line woes, and um, I think that's the league wide problem right now. Is that they're just the, the offensive line play is just kind of shit. And overall, and that affects the passing game. That affects the running game. And I think that's the biggest reason for scoring being down to a degree is that um, it's, you know, if you're not protecting up front, everything else just falls apart. Well, in, in looking at this, and this is what I wanted to ask you, is about if this ties in with some of the other things that we're looking at here, some of the macro trends for this year, when you talk about the the vanishing, the extinct second tier in the league right now, the fact that other than the very very worst teams in the league, maybe 30, 31, 32, 23 to 29, I think on average is significantly better uh, than it would be most other years. So this whole kind of uh, prolonged kind of mushy middle throughout the league. I could be mean to you and call it the Mitt Romneyization of the NFL, but we'll find another exemplification for the mushy middle. But uh, as far as it well, goes, I mean, I mean, it's not going to offend me. I'm not a you know, I'm not a middle-aged woman. I mean, I'm not. You know. I'm just going back in the archives here, busting your balls on some previous conversations we've had. But uh, no, as far as that. That, that mushy middle that, that's out there, do you think that ties directly into the lower scoring? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the chicken and the egg here, but as far as uh, it, that, that there's a mushy middle that's being uh, caused by that, that causation and whatever. But I, I think generally speaking, when you're looking at lower scoring games, games that are uh, more prone to be uh, decided by one or two plays, plays where a, a, a game structure where defense is is carrying a a bigger level of import than it has the last couple of years. I think that could lead to the mushification that we've seen here and some of the surprises, primarily the bad surprises uh, from the fraud teams. But like I said, the second worst level of teams in the league being a little better than you would expect this year. Do you think that the the, the scoring being down ties into all of this? Oh, I absolutely do. Okay. And I think that ties directly to the offensive line play. Mm-hmm. Because you look at there's a lot of these teams that you're you know you're throwing at the bottom of the of the pile right rightfully so sure but you look at their offensive weapons and you go why are they so bad right like it doesn't make sense and then it's like oh you know what let's start dissecting their line play you know and then I think that that you know like Indianapolis for example they've had bad line play this year. In right. front of Matt Ryan, by and large, right, and it's one of the reasons he struggled. Uh, it's one of the reasons he struggled in lo- a lot down the stretch in Atlanta in his last couple of years because that line was atrocious. If your teams, I, I think you've got to you've got to step back and figure out how you're going to address the line issue in terms of your drafting and development. Um, ironically, that's one that's you know. Probably the one area that the Browns have done very well. Yes, um, they've been, they've drafted, they've acquired, and developed, and coached, and then signed their talent right by yes. you know holding on to Batonio Teller and, and uh, you know bringing in a Nick Harris and you know a young he was looking good and then boom got hurt you know right um, Ethan Posick has come right in and been very good I think so far this year at right um, and again he was a guy I was high on out of LSU. And then just sort of it disappeared in Seattle. But all that being said, you know they went out and got Conklin. You know they inv- they have invested massively on their on their line. Yes. Where a lot of teams haven't, they've tried to just kind of get by. Right. And, and again, I think that's you get you get one or two injuries. If you don't have depth, you're toast. So I, I think it's all. I think what you what you've outlined, Rick, is it's all it's all symbiotic. It's all interrelated. And um, it's certainly affecting the quality of play, points scored, 
you know, the ability to sort of clearly understand the tiers within the, within the league, you know, you've got three teams and then basically everybody else. I'm thinking also too something that is symbiotic in the same way is having mentioned a couple of these guys here during the course of the show, if you want to use them for poster children, if you will, uh, you've got uh, Stefanski and Woods with the Browns. When you talk about coaching there, Dayball with the Giants and overcoming the atrocity that remains Danny Dimes to be 5-1 and one here at this point. It seems to me that, and, and again, I think you touched on it a little bit before with Belichick too, and you would kind of said this with Dayball as well, but I think way more than usual, I think coaching is determining the outcome of some of these games here. Not that it's not always important, but it's a thing where coaching primarily, it seems like, has been of the most importance as far as taking teams over the top, getting them to places far beyond where they would be otherwise in January and February. But it seems like in the early part of the season here that we're seeing, again, uh, whether it be uh, Arthur Smith, whether it be uh, Dable, guys who haven't been handed a very good hand at this point in time, even Saleh with the Jets here with them being 4-2, and two, uh, it, it seems like coaching through the first third of the season, uh, whether it's a little bit or a lot, has been more important than it has been at the at the outset of previous seasons. Do you see the same thing? Uh, I, I absolutely do. And and here's what here's what I think that goes again back to. Okay, mm-hmm. shortened light lifting off season. Yes, limited amount of times that guys can spend with coaches. And with a playbook and how much time they can be in the building, all the collective bargaining restrictions that the players have demanded um, has not made the game better. Right. Um, and I think what happens is that teams that are well coached are getting off to a better start than those that maybe have a lot of talent with average coaching, that it's going to take them longer. And, and I think that so, so because of the lack of time and everything else and film and yada, 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 I think you've, I think you've hit on it is that the good, the good coaching will give you a leg up at the beginning of the year. Remember Belichick used to famously talk about, he doesn't care about the first month. Right. That's when he's trying to figure out his team. Right. And he's trying to, you know, it's like that on steroids now, right? Like right. The good coaches you know, the good coaches now have a huge leg up over the Cliff Kingsbury's of the world because, they, they, you know, Bill Belichick has, you know, he's got a grasp of what his team is. He's got experience. He understands, you know, he's just got a huge leg up on taking an inexperienced group and getting them to do what he wants in the beginning of the season faster. Now, the flip side to that is, Rick, once other teams start to catch up, I, my expectation is teams like the Giants will start to fade. Yes. Now, they still may fade their way into a wild card into the playoffs. Right. But I, I, the Giants are a team that I keep looking at going, eventually talent does matter. Eventually these other things, and that is a team without any depth, without a lot of talent. And, and I think to myself, great coaching and scheming has gotten them to this point. And then it's like, are the other teams going to start to figure some stuff out? And and then the, the Giants, you know, will lose a few of those games that they've won, and they start to fade a little bit. I, they're a, they're to me a prime candidate for for, for the fade. Yeah, you know, for the second half fade. I agree with that. And uh, their old uh, defensive coordinator back in the day uh, turned uh, Super Bowl nemesis Bill Belichick, who we've been talking about here. Uh, again, for the better part of the first 20 years of the 21st century, he was the model of coach. Everyone seemed to be looking at, like, we got to go try and get a guy like Belichick that can scheme and figure things out. And then somewhere along the way, the last couple of years, the prototype became uh, Sean McVay. And, uh, hey, let's get a young guy with a faux hawk to come in here, and it's in his 30s and be our head coach. And uh, Well, I think it's more than a faux hawk, Rich. I mean, McVay clearly knows how to. Sure. Out of coaching scheme. Right, right. <laughs> I, don't right. Just, the Rams, I don't think the Rams won a Super Bowl on the power of a Pope. I mean, I, I'm not, um, and, and I don't even believe <laughs> McVeigh doesn't even actually even have one, but I, I'm being my typical facetious self and making I, my I know, point. I but, you uh, you know, I, I, but I here's, get your point. Here's, the, thir- the 32-year-old wonder kid, right? Yes, yes. But your Dolphins are benefiting from Yes, that. McDaniel, yes. you got to love that, although, and, again. And, and, and I think that... 
Well, this, you know, McDaniel to me goes back to you and I had a conversation many, 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 many moons ago. Yeah. About coaching in the NFL and where I think it's going. And we talked about, and I, and I talked about the old adage of GMs. We, 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 we was sort of talking about the new generation and analytics and everything. Right. And, and I had said to you, you talked about pedigree, you yeah. know, yeah. the guys that have, you know, the family and your dad was a coach and you're, and I, and I, you know, my opinion on that was that's all just a bunch of hogwash that now in the future, you can start to see guys like McDaniel. Now we are seeing young guys that are wicked smart that probably ought to be doing engineering at MIT right. are applying themselves to football versus the old school knuckle draggers. They're like, you gotta do this and, you know, spit your chaw on the field. And, you know, that's out. These guys are complex. They are, they are, these guys in any other, any other capacity would be successful, whether they were investment bankers, hedge fund guys, uh, you name it. And because these are smart analytical guys, you're now starting to see roll into the league and applying those skill sets to uh to, to what they how they coach i mean you, the, the the discussion about mcdaniel when he was at when he was with the browns this wide receiver coach did you see the interview with i think it was hawkins yes on the rick talking about show. how he was his favorite coach ever yes because he he wanted to he, he showed him tape not a football but alan iverson and his crossover yes and he was and he applied that to running a route and getting you know in a and, 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 I, and I thought to myself, you would have never seen that from the old school, quote unquote, pedigree coach. Right. But there's a, there's a guy who's just smart. And, and that's the kind of guy that's coming into the league now that they are. These guys necessarily didn't necessarily play football or maybe they just played some even some low level college football. So they understand wow. the basics of the game. But then they're. There are guys that probably ought to be working on Wall Street or, you know, designing the next great, you know, automobile or something. But instead, they're doing football. And and I think that those guys like McDaniel now going forward, get a huge leg up in, a, in, a, in an environment where players aren't spending much time with coaches anymore. They're not they don't have a much of an off season. They don't tackle. They don't do anything. Right. Right. So if you're, you know, the smarter guys, I think are going to get off the harbor starts. Well, sure, and I've got a, a larger point to make about McVeigh as we start to bring this full circle, but I'm going to put a thumbtack in that for a minute because I want to follow up on McDaniel here in this point, is that I feel like, and this is where in the FDH lounge where nothing is off topic, where we can do cross-pollination on all kinds of different subjects, you being the chief futurist of the FDH lounge, I think you're going to agree with what I'm going to say, that Mike McDaniel is a product of his age. This is the information age we have never, as human beings, had more information right at our fingertips. And I go back to, somebody made the point a couple of years ago, and I think this is the best exemplification of that. And the fact that Mad Men went off the air, I think, in 2015 or so, and smartphones have only gotten appreciably uh, better and stronger since then. But in the final season, I don't know if you ever watched Mad Men, but uh, spoiler alert. Okay, so a great show. Spoiler alert, there was a scene the agency had a supercomputer uh, in the one room. This was set in like 1970, 1971, and it was it, it took up basically like an entire room uh, in the office there, and it was to, to process all these different types of things about advertising and where to put your money and everything like that. And I remember some TV critic making the point that these actors on set, when they go to their you know, dressing rooms, they're leaving behind in there when they go on set. They're leaving behind a smartphone that is several times, maybe m many times, maybe millions of times more powerful than that supercomputer from 1970 that's being depicted in that scene. And Correct. that's where we are. And Mike McDaniel, he is an open-minded kind of a guy, an inquisitive kind of a guy, and he is taking advantage of this information age. The fact that we as people, whatever endeavors we're doing, you want to know how to do this, how to go do this. People have the, you know, you, you can have a hobby on just about anything because you go on to WikiHow and you learn how to do it. Mike McDaniel, I think, exemplifies this day and age we live in, and that's why I love having him as coach for the Dolphins because it makes him capable of doing the kind of things you're talking about. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the perfect example would be, I mean, obviously out of the league now, but like, you know, I, well, all right, I'll use somebody in the league now. 
Lovey Smith is that supercomputer from the show. Yes. All right? And then Mike McDaniel is your iPhone 12. <laughs> right. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what you got. Yeah. Right? And, 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 that's, and that's why, you know, the hiring of him down in Houston was a head-scratcher. Yes. It was just a horrible head-scratcher. Didn't make any sense. And so, and again, unless it was just a PR thing, like, hey, we kind of just bullied our former African-American quarterback, and hey, our owner might just be a racist, so we, we, I mean, we might want to make a change right. and hire, and hire this guy so we can, so when we fire him in two years, when we finally have talent on the team, when we go hire a Mike McDaniel type of guy, we don't look so bad. Um, I have a suspicion that that's, that's the silly thought process there. Yeah, um, I think so. But, He's a placeholder. No, I mean, I just—I don't mean to be, you know, terribly cynical, but okay, I will be. No, he's a placeholder. Um, he is. But the funny thing about it is, why go do that when they basically already had that with the previous? Coach? Yes, we're going to replace a and placeholder had, with a placeholder. <laughs> yeah, that's what I didn't understand. And the previous coach had done a pretty decent job of getting them to play hard. Yes. So I didn't understand the whole like you're out and we're bringing in a guy who's probably worse than you. Like I like what? Well, right. Um, Right, and so, that's you know. So anyway, not to get off on a tangent about the Texans, but to your <laughs> point, you that to your point, that's exactly that's you you've nailed it right there. Right? Okay, like, we are in a new era, and the next wave of coaches are going to be guys that you know, you know, they, 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 you know. I'm waiting for the guys that that write their own algorithms and stuff. You know, well, I, I, you know, you know, like the, the coaches that are programming their own AI to figure shit out. Oh, I, mean, I once told you a few years ago, hey, you're figuring out quarterbacks. Well, why is no team yet figured out like, hey, we want to test how fast your brain synapses fire? You know, because we find if one, you know, if yours fires at, our studies show if your yours fires at .04 or less or lower, like you, you're a better quarterback. So you make decisions quicker. If you're .5 and up, you know, to point one or 05 to point one, you're slower at making processing decisions. And therefore our numbers show that, you know, I'm waiting for a team to get to that literally neurological level. Wow. Um, and nobody's actually crossed that bridge yet. Right. But, right. you know, throw the wonder lick away. I want to know how fast your little neurons fire. Wow. Um, and, you know, and no one's gone gotten to that point yet, but don't you feel like at some point, like that's coming. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Everybody keeps talking about sports science. Why not sports science above the shoulders? I mean, and that's where I wish I had a better Cosmo Kramer impression because I would give you the "you just blew my mind." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I again, the league. I think what we're seeing is, you know, what what I worry is that the league will ham-fistedly try to adjust rules again. Right. Rather than rather than address the fact that these players aren't getting enough coaching, there's bad offensive line play, and that's affecting their product. Right now, all that being said, the NFL's never been more popular. Yeah, you know, the, the, I don't think the average fan is really caught up in the fact that there's you know one less touchdown per game. You know, fan, you, you know the ratings are through the roof on all these different platforms that they're now into. Right. You've got gambling coming, you know, online legally across the country, which is only going to just massively inflate the, the NFL's revenue. You could make an argument of it's well, if it's not really broken in terms of the revenue, why, why, why mess with it? Well, but but I think you know, offense does. Uh, I think it, it will it will lead to better ratings yet. Still, I think they'll look at it that way. The NFL never rests on its laurels. Uh, I think they get excessively greedy on a lot of stuff, and in that way, it will be a thing of like, well, if we're making this much money now, uh, think about if the uh, numbers were back up again on the field. Which leads me to my last point here that I was going to make, and this goes back to Sean McVay, of all the ways where he has been a sort of pied piper for the league the last couple of years, uh, one where I think it has had a very deleterious effect, and we've touched on it briefly here, uh, but I mean, Sean McVay basically was the one that really sort of trumpeted and really kind of brought into whole focus here the whole thing of like, well, August doesn't really matter. It's, it's you know, a copycat kind of a league, and I, I always associate him with the movement to basically just like, well, we're just going to hold a whole bunch of guys out of our preseason games. And that leads to the lack of cohesion early in the season. 
Well, you're right about that. I mean, I think, uh, you know, McVay has his theory. And listen, every coach is worried about injuries and things like that. Right. Um, and that's clearly his driving force. Right. But, uh, you know, uh, there has to be a balance. And I, and I think coaches are – that pendulum always swings, right? Right. And I think coaches are trying to figure that out. Now there's one less preseason game. I think that they're kind of trying to, to sort of – you're going to start to see these guys swinging back. Maybe the starters now playing in the third game, you know, to try to try to get them up to speed a little bit before that first game of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the pendulum swings. I wouldn't be surprised if you see more teams because of these slow starts and these struggles um, start to say, you know what, we got to, you know, we, we got to actually do a little bit more in the preseason than what we've been doing on the field. Um, all that said, the other thing is that, you know, there are some people out there saying, look, it, these injuries are occurring because these guys don't tackle in practice. They right. don't do all these things. Right. And so they're, you know, they're softer than ever, you know, quote unquote, softer than ever. Um, and, and so when they go and play a game, the violent game at full speed, they're just not holding up. Right. And, um, there's probably some truth to that as well. And, and, and so it, it's going to just, it's going to continuously be this balance of the pendulum, right? Like trying to find the right, strike the right balance. Um, and we're, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a swing right now in the league. We've got a lot of mediocrity in terms of. Uh, the middle, the, the, the lack of a, of, a, of a strong middle of the, of the, of the league in terms of uh, accomplishments. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it all sort of shifts and pans out and averages out over the rest of the season. It will. Uh, and just in terms of looking at this here and all the different ways that the season uh, has defied and mystified our, our expectations and, and, and really left us uh, puzzled at some of the things we've seen in terms of, again, I, I always tend to be, uh, as I relentlessly say on the show, a, a student of the odds. And I'm always kind of a believer in things, kind of the progression to the mean, the regression to the mean, whatever. So in terms of big, medium, or small, in terms of regression to the mean, on, on any number of these trends, in terms of the fraud teams stopping being frauds and kind of getting their, their act together here, uh, scoring going up a little bit more, and that, that would probably, again, as we said, sort of exacerbate that trend as far as uh, some of the teams that we expected to be up there being up there again, because particularly it's uh, the, the offenses being uh, not so great at times in places like Green Bay. We didn't expect that, even though we probably should have when we looked at their wide receiver core. But in, in terms of regression to the mean and things getting to be a little bit closer to what we expected as the season goes along, I'm going to ask you, big, middle, or small, I'm going to say middle sort of regression to the mean in, in a number of these areas. Uh, and that would mean also teams like the New York Giants going back to the pack as well. Uh, I'm going to go small. I think by and large, you're not going to fix some of the structural problems that you're seeing mm-hmm. because of things like offensive line play. I think you're going to see a couple teams regress to the mean. But I think that, you know, I think the Packers are what they are this year. They're going to be a 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight and nine team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the AFC North, other than the Bengals, maybe breaking out with like a you know four or five game win streak, which I can see them doing on with that schedule. Yes. Um, I think the I think the Steelers continue to sink to the bottom. Yes. I think the Browns are going to continue to sink to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the Ravens are going to continue to muddle along at five hundred. Right. Um, I think I suspect the Bengals are going to separate. I, I, you know, I we'll do see. too. So I think there's going to be a few of that. So I'm, I'm saying small, but maybe it really is medium. Um, now let me, let's put it this way. I'm going to call it medium. How's that? In honor of your favorite coach, Dan Campbell, and his T-shirts. <laughs> Correct. Everything ties together. There, it really there's, does. There's, there's a guy that needs to glide up to reach my expectations of <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, we shall see how that goes. Again, though, and, and early on this was really the case. I mean, their record is right about what I would have thought it would have been. But I will grant you, you said they were going to be more competitive this year, and that really has been the case. But 
uh, it gets harder and harder to focus on that as the season goes along because the record is just so execrable at this point. Well, that they're they're another team um, that just is you know losing games by one or two plays. Yes, and it's and and that was the case for them last year. Right, and 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 it's you look at them and you go, man, at some point you've gotta you've gotta start winning some of those. Right, you've gotta start closing out, or I mean, or a guy like him, his job will be in jeopardy. Because the yay, rah, rah, I like to eat kneecaps and everything. We all understand it only has a shelf life of only so long. Right. Um, but the Detroit offense has been very good. Well, other than that stinker against New England. Right. Um, their their offense has been very good. Their defense has been terrible, which is what's held them back. But, you know, that's that's a team that I'm just like, man, one, one or two plays every game. And, and, and they could literally be four and two. Uh, they just they they just can't seem to close it out. Here's the funny um, thing. But, I, but again, I would also say this at this point. I, I, you know, even though I would like them to improve and you know finish that nine and eight that I predicted, chances are they're gonna they're gonna end up finishing with four or five wins. They're gonna continue to slide the way they they are showing us what they are a bad defensive team. If they get some injuries on on, the, on their wideouts and their weapons, they're, they're toast. It, it it looks like that, but here's the thing, though, is that again, if not for some of the other things happening in the league this year, he could make a persuasive point because you and I have talked about this, especially defensively, how riddled with holes this roster still is. So. This is a thing where if this guy loses his job, the first thing he's going to go do is get a voodoo doll of Brian Dayball because that Brian Dayball blows up his case. Because on the surface, he could make the case and say, losing narrowly, what more do you expect me to do with this roster? But then you see what Dayball's doing, and it's like, oh, there really is a higher ceiling that's possible. Well, it's true, and... Um... You know, I, I guess he should uh, he should be sp- spending some time looking at what Dable's doing. I guess. I guess. Um, I, you know, uh, because what he's doing has been absolutely miraculous. Um, even though I expect them to slide some. Yes. But um, still, first year out of the gate. Wow. Yeah. Well, it it ha- it really has been incredible, and and part of a head spinning first third of the NFL season. So. Uh, I'm glad that we were able to come on here, as I fully expected, and be able to uh, make some sense out of a lot of the chaos that's going on here. Uh, Very proud of the way we were able to do so. So thank you, as always, Chris Galloway. Appreciate it. Hey, uh, anytime. Love to come on. Love having you on, buddy, uh, for breakdowns just like this one, and we will do so as this football year continues to unfold. Thank you, my friend, and thank you, everybody, for joining us.